Welcome to Grace this weekend. Uh, my name's Ryan. If you've just started coming to Grace maybe in the last handful of weeks or month or so, good chance we haven't met yet. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Love to meet you uh, if we haven't had a chance to do that. So thanks for being here this weekend. Excited to walk us into the next step in this conversation that Pastor Jeff kicked off last weekend called Mixed Messages. This is a, a new series, and what we've been saying is this, that that the reality is in our life, so much has changed as far as communication and how we receive it. Uh, that, that there's so much noise in our culture now. That if you go back 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, our experience of receiving messages and receiving pieces of communication is completely different than it was. Right? With the advent of social media, we're literally exposed, experts would say we're exposed to uh, multiple hundreds, some experts say multiple thousands of pieces of information each and every day. When you look at driving by billboards, listening to the radio, looking on social media, the messages are coming to us constantly. It almost never stops. And so the noise has become overwhelming to us. And it's not necessarily bad, it's not necessarily good, it's just kind of what it is, but it creates a new normal that we have to adapt to. And how do we cut through that noise and find kind of what's valuable in the midst of all of it? Right? What voice do I listen to? How do I cut through it and really hear God's voice in the midst of it? So what we said last week, Pastor Jeff kind of led us into this first conversation. He said, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then the, the voice that I'm looking to hear is the voice of God. Right? If I can push away the noise and hear God's voice for my life, my decisions, my worldview, the way that I would believe and see life, in the predominant way that I would hear God's voices through the Bible. Right? So if you missed that message, catch that online, and I encourage you to do that and I kind of get caught up that way. So if you're a Christ follower, we're going to stop and take some time to do that, kind of push out some of those other messages. We're going to look at some of them, kind of analyze them a little bit, and then we're also going to take a hard look at what God has to say about a handful of different issues. Of course, we can't hit them all, but we're going to look at a few things that I think are going to be really helpful. Uh, one of those would be we're going to take some time and talk about how do I live out my citizenship as in the kingdom of God. If I'm a Christ follower, how do I live here in America in the midst of election season and also kind of honor my faith? What does that look like? We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about a future hope. How do I align and structure my life in such a way that I look to have a vision for the future, even when sometimes things look a little bleak in the world that we live in? Now, we're going to talk about self and how do I define and view myself when there's so many messages defining and kind of talking to us about how we should view ourselves. And we're going to talk about life. And I'm really excited about our conversation today. One of my favorite subjects, sex in our bodies. Be a lot. Yep, we're going to talk about sex today. It's going to be fun. Some of you just thought, Pastor Ryan thinks about sex, right? Like, I have four kids, and the stork did not bring them, right? So sex is a part of my life, and I think it's an important part, right? So we're going to talk about that, kind of dive into a conversation about sex and our bodies, and it's actually uh, a conversation that is saturated in our culture today. Everybody has an opinion about sex, and believe it or not, God has some very strong opinions about sex as well. And so we want to take some time and look at that. Again, if you're a Christ follower, this will be very clarifying as we define sex from God's perspective. 
If you're saying, hey, I'm here, I'm, I don't know what I believe, I haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, I think this will be very helpful to try to understand from the Bible's perspective. Because sometimes the church has even had a mixed message on what sex is and how to view our bodies. So we're going to get some clarity. I think it'll be helpful for all of us. So let's dive into it a little bit. The way that I tend to think of sex and the messages that are coming to us about sex is kind of in a spectrum, really in a spectrum. It's kind of a range of different messages that would show up, all kind of regarding sex. And then connected to that spectrum is going to be another spectrum uh, with messages about our bodies, about our bodies. So if I'm a woman or a man, give her some hair, there we go. If I'm a man or a woman thinking about sex, I'm going to have a range of different messages that I might lock into regarding both my body and sexuality. So these are all going to be kind of connected areas And we're going to look at five of them today. The first one I want to introduce you to is viewing sex as the message coming through our culture is seeing sex as a need, as a need, right? So if you're taking notes, you can jot this picture right down in your notes there in your program, kind of create that in the box we gave you. Seeing sex as a need. So we would view food as a need, right? Water as a need. I need to have sleep. I need to breathe air. And then sex is something that my body needs. It's a message that our culture would communicate. And tied into that, kind of with viewing sex as a need, is that I would view my body as something that's mine. Something that's mine. Be my definition of my body. So when my body that I own wants sex, I'm going to go get those needs met however I see fit. So just like I would go and choose to feed my body whatever I want to feed it or drink whatever I want to drink or sleep wherever I want to sleep, I'm going to have sex and meet those needs however I want to have those met because my body is mine. That would be a a strong message kind of coming out in our world today that my body is mine and sex is kind of just sex. It would be seen largely from almost a biological perspective only. It's just, it's a drive. It's just sex. That's all it is. And you just meet that need and kind of move on. And it's no big deal. It's very, very, very casual. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, sex sometimes can be viewed differently. It can be viewed shamefully, right? Where sex is viewed as something shameful. And actually, a lot of this view actually came out of religious circles in a lot of ways. Even there have been a religious practices that have propagated this idea that that sex is shameful and sometimes people would even see the body as something that is dirty or gross kind of the body view of it and religious circles would look and say boy your soul is the thing that's really good your body is kind of something that's bad people who are really holy are people who don't even engage with their body in sex at all. They're celibate. They, they would live forever as people that never engage sex at all. I would see that. And certainly the Bible would have a gift, actually, that's given where you can live single forever, but that's only for a select few that God chooses. But historically in the church, sometimes sex has been created to be the shameful thing, that it's bad kind of in and of itself. And sometimes this message comes through because here's the reality that that sometimes sex has been abused. And some of us have maybe even experienced that incredibly painful, damaging thing. And so if 
if sex abuse has happened in my life, that changes the way that I view it. I'm going to have a hard time seeing it as a good thing because in my experience of it, it's been shameful and dirty and wrong and inappropriate. So if you begin to see this range uh, that's being created here and these different messages that are coming through, I may not view sex all the way to the extent where it's shameful. Right? Maybe I wouldn't say it's bad or wrong or anything like that, but, but another message that's kind of close to that is where I would see sex as obligation, is obligation. Some of us view sex this way, or we would hear messages about sex that would go this way, where sex is kind of just what you do to get a relationship, or sex is what you do to keep a relationship. I just do this, I, I kind of have to, to keep the wife or the husband happy. It's not this thing that I find a ton of joy in or excitement around. It's mostly an obligation in my life, and it's just kind of there, right? I kind of put up with it, I endure it, and tied to that view of sex is a view of my body that would go like this, where I would see it as something that I tolerate, something that I tolerate. And I have a hard time living in my own skin. And body image is usually tied to, there's all kinds of messages and opinions about body image today. Right? And my body is something that I have a hard time celebrating, have a hard time getting excited about or feeling thankful for, kind of embarrassed about it. I kind of just put up with it, which causes me to kind of view sex as just an obligation, a thing that I have to endure. I'm certainly not able to look at myself and be in a healthy way, kind of proud of how I look and proud of the body that I get to have. Now, let me give you an example. I, I'm very proud of certain parts of my appearance and, and my body. Right now, you're thinking, what exactly is he going to say next? <laughs> it's just a great moment for me watching you think that. I've actually had, uh, I've had a handful of uh, really heartfelt compliments come to me lately uh, from multiple credible sources. And, and they've said to me, Ryan, we want, you to let, we want to let you know something about yourself and how you look. I said, I can't wait to hear this. This is going to be great. And they said, we want you to know, when you're standing up there on the stage, we look at you and uh, we see that your head is completely round. <laughs> it, it's like perfect. It's perfectly round. And you know what I did when they said it to me? I said, thank you for noticing that. That's fantastic because I began shaving my head not because I'm prematurely balding. That wasn't the reason. It's because I have a gloriously round dome. <laughs> Look at this thing. Right? I don't just tolerate this. Boy, you let that thing shine. Right? It's a beautiful head. Love it. Don't put hair on that. Right? Is my body something I can tolerate, or is it something that I can kind of live in and be excited about and be thankful for? It's one of the messages. Let's flip over to the other side. Another message, not so far down the road, is a need, where I would view sex just as just sex but a little closer in here where I would view sex as something that's meaningful, meaningful. It's kind of another message that's coming through in our world. So when I'm in a relationship with someone who I love and I want to share this part of my life with them, then I have this meaningful act that we share together that's connected to seeing my body just that way as something that I would share. Right? My body is something to be shared kind of with someone that I love at the time. So regardless of marital relationship, 
regardless of kind of how that works, if I deem myself to love that person, then I'll share my body with them. Probably this is the, the plot line and the message of every romantic comedy, right? If you love them, you're gonna go there and share this part of your life with them. We just see that show up all the time. And I know uh, not all of you would be familiar with kind of my background or story. I didn't grow up uh, really having any religious background at all. Uh, never grew up going to church. It just wasn't part of my life story, you know. It's not what I did. And, and growing up sexually, I would have locked into really this message about sex. When I thought about sex, I tended to think of it as something that is meaningful and that, man, when, when I have a relationship and somebody that I love and care about, I'm going to share my body with them. I'm going to have sex with them. And I would have, in high school and college, lived out that message and lived out that belief. And I remember, as I kind of lived that out, right, not based on any real faith or belief, just kind of locked in the message of my culture, when I went to college, that belief began to be challenged, right? And my friends and my culture, my world around me said, man, if you really want to have great sex, like the great sex is not just with one person in a meaningful way. The great sex, you've got to expand your horizons. You have to like party and sleep with more people and and that's really where like the good life is. I remember in college hearing that and thinking, huh, I'm curious. Am I missing out on something? And so I started to lock in to that message. Start to say, maybe, maybe I've been wrong. Maybe I've been limiting myself in some ways and I need to move towards this message. Or I kind of view sex as just sex. Treat it more casually. I started to adopt that message. I'll never forget after kind of processing that and making a decision to move down that road, I woke up one morning next to this woman that I never met, right? That, that I didn't know. She's a stranger to me. And I, I woke up next to her and I thought, why did I do this? Why, why did I spend the night with this girl? This is a terrible decision. Well, why did I think this was going to be fun? This was out of no religious conviction. It wasn't like somebody was shoving Jesus down my throat and talking to me about blah, blah. It was simply a matter of this, this feels terrible. And I remember going back and talking to my friends about it. This is before I met my wife, before any of that. I remember going back and we would have a conversation about casual sex. I remember us talking about it together and I said, I said let's just process this a little bit. So you're saying... Um, the best sex that you can find, right? The, the good sex is when I share the deepest part of who I am with someone that I do not know, I do not trust, they are a complete stranger to me, I barely know them, and I do that over and over and over again. That's the plan? Like, for good sex? Really? That, that plan doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm hearing all the hype, but when I try it out on my own, I think all I feel is this was, this was a dumb idea. This is a bad idea. I mostly feel guilty that I did this. I remember we processed that. We talked about it as friends, and we, we started to examine that message kind of for what it is. Not from a religious perspective, not from a, a Christ-centered perspective. This is before I met Jesus. In fact, kind of exploring this and my questions about sex were a big part of what led me to actually be open to a relationship with Christ because I had no idea what to do with sex. 
I, I tried this, I was active here, I tried this, and I thought, this is lame. This is not what I'm looking for. This does not lead to life or, or great sex even. What do I do now? How do I work this through? Because at that point in my life, I did not believe in marriage. Never really seen it work. And so I was at this crossroads of, do I want a committed relationship? Do I want to try to sleep around? I don't even know what to do with the marriage thing. And I literally had never heard about God's design for marriage. It just, that message had never come across my path. And so I began to be open to it. And part of that message I want to share with us today, and here's what I found personally, this message about God's design for marriage is absolutely life-changing. If you came from where I came from, boy, it's mind-blowing. God's design for how our bodies are to function specifically in, in sex and how we're kind of wired and created and kind of what God's heart is for sex. So we're going to dive into that today. We're going to take a look at it. And I, I would tell you this, if you lock into it, I think it will bring life and encouragement, hope, and maybe even healing uh, to this part of our lives. So we're going to dive in. As we do that, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2 here in your Bibles. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture right from the beginning of the Bible. And we'll begin to read there here in a second. As you're turning there, let me just say this, kind of coming back to our spectrum here. One of the things that's so challenging about mixed messages in general is that there's a little bit of truth in each one. That's what makes it hard. Because in some ways, sex is a need. You know, if I don't have it, I'm not going to die. That's the reality. It might feel that way at times. But the reality is I'm not going to die if I don't have sex. Sex is meaningful. It's just not all that it is. Sex in a relationship that is bogging down or that hasn't been given attention quickly can turn into obligation. There's a reality that that's true. And sex done outside of God's design can become incredibly shameful. Incredibly shameful. So there's truth to each one of these. And that's what makes it so confusing. But with God's design, what we're able to do is tie in directly to his definition of what sex is how our bodies are created and designed and how they're to function. With that being said, let me uh, read this passage to you here in Genesis chapter 2. What's happening is God is creating. He's creating human beings. He's creating everything. And we get to interact here with Adam and Eve. Adam has just been on a hunt to find someone to share his life with. Hasn't been able to find her. Not until Eve is created. And when Eve is created, he's blown away. Here's what he says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 23. The man said this, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's how God created her. The writer of Genesis reflects on what's happening here in verse 24. He says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. What we're witnessing here as you read through this passage is the, the joining, the beginning of the first marriage. That's what's happening. Adam and Eve are forming the first marriage kind of before our very own eyes. And and that's what the writer's pointing to, saying this is why people get married because Adam and Eve kind of formed this first marriage. And here's what I put in your notes. God designed sex to be a sacred and powerful part of the marriage relationship. God designed sex to be a sacred and powerful part of the marriage relationship. Sex is sacred. It's really 
to be put into the marriage relationship, which, which is a holy thing that God created. It's beautiful, amazing. So sex is not simply a need. It's not just sex. It has meaning to it beyond just love or seasonal love. It is deeper than that, spiritual. And there's a power to sex. It's an unbelievably powerful thing. Here's what happens. Uh, when you look at God's design, God created human beings, and he created them to be male and female, and he created them to fit together biologically, right? They're, they're actually, we're designed to do that. We're created that way. And when man and woman marry and they join themselves together sexually, what happens is that union is so powerful that, that the Bible would say it's as if you're one. It's as if you're one flesh. Nothing we have in experience is like that. Right? If I go shake somebody's hand, we're not one. That's just casual connection. If I sit down and have lunch with you, we're not one. And you have sex with someone, you are connected to that person. Not just physically, emotionally, spiritually. There's a deep and lasting connection. And all of us who have experienced sex at any level, you know that. It's true and it's real. And it's designed to be that way. It's sacred and it's powerful. And it's part of the marriage relationship. That's the context in which God created it to be. Now, look at this next verse, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Right, so here's the next thing I want to point out. God designed sex to be good. God designed sex to be good. What we're witnessing here in creation, creation of man and woman, creation of marriage, creation of sex, all is before sin entered the world. So marriage in and of itself is good. Sex in and of itself is a good gift. It's what happened. I just want us to stop and get our minds around this for a second. It sounds obvious, but it's not. God is the one who invented sex. Like, he didn't, it didn't sneak into humanity. It was his idea. I just want you to think about this for a minute. How awesome does God have to be to give us sex? Right? Like, you should think sex is good. I think it's a great thing. I'm extremely pro-sex. <laughs> Right? And you should be too. I think it's awesome. Like when you think about it, God must be so completely awesome to give us sex. Think about it. He, he could have said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to bring babies into the world. Uh, could have been any number of ways. He could have put a button on the inside of your elbow that a man pushes. And you, right? on the woman, and boy, she's pregnant. Bam, done. You, you could have gone the route of thumb wrestling. Right? A man and a woman could thumb wrestle. And when they do that, they get pregnant. And whoever wins the thumb wrestle chooses the gender done, right? Instead, he chooses to give us sex. How awesome is God for that? Thank you, Lord, right, for sex. That's awesome. Everybody's like, amen, right? We're in. It's great. It's a good gift. And that's what I want us to see here in the, in the next note I put in your, in your handout. God designed sex to be a gift to married couples, a gift for married couples, so here's God's message about it. It's sacred, it's powerful, and it's a good gift that's coming through. 
If you've never read the book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, uh, I would encourage you to read it. It's an entire book of the Bible dedicated really to pleasure in sex in marriage. It's a graphic, just to warn you, like really graphic. It's symbolic, so as you read through it, here's what's gonna happen. As you're reading through it, you're gonna come across a symbol and you're gonna stop and you're gonna think, uh, is, that, is that symbol talking about like, yes, it is, right? <laughs> Go check it out. Now you're intrigued, and you'll, you'll find out they are talking about that. God is talking about that kind of sex in the Bible. It's fantastic. If you're married, definitely do that, right? We'll expand the nursery for nine months from now. You guys have fun. <laughs> It'd be awesome. But even if you're single or considering marriage or looking forward to it, what I want to do is, is try to cultivate and hear God's voice about marriage, that it's not a shameful thing. It can be if it's misused. But in and of itself, it's not a shameful thing. It's a good thing. And it's not even an obligation. Boy, it wasn't created to be that way. It was created to be this awesome pinnacle of human experience in the deepest human relationship given to human beings, which is marriage. Right? You might want to write this down. Great sex comes from great marriage. Right? Great sex comes from great marriage. If you want to know where the great sex is, it's it's in this, it's have a great marriage. Love each other, trust each other, work together in life, pursue one another, and what you'll find is that marriage gets better and better and better. It's the exact opposite of the hype that I heard growing up. Great marriage leads to great sex. Just what it is. It's mind-blowing. It's how it's created to be. It's fantastic. What do we do with our bodies then? Right? We begin to look at sex in a lot of different veins from God's perspective. What about our bodies? I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles, a little longer passage. You might want to open this if uh, you have a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible, grab them from underneath the chairs. It's page 795 in those Bibles. And the Apostle Paul is talking to a church in Corinth, uh, a city that is extremely sexualized, right? So if you think our culture is sexualized, uh, the Corinthian society was extremely sexualized. Uh, people would have uh, sex in religious ceremonies. They actually thought it was part of sacrificing to the gods. You want to talk about an interesting culture. Uh, Corinth is certainly one of them. And Paul's going to speak to this culture. I'm going to read through this kind of chunk of Scripture, and I want to come back, and we'll pull some principles from it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, starting verse 13. He's quoting some things back to them. He says, You say food is for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. In response to that, he says, the body, however, listen to this verse, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? He calls back to Genesis here, for it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Paul says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
He goes on to answer another question they're asking. He says, now for the matters you wrote about. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is what the Corinthians said. He said, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Fascinating passage, loaded passage of scripture. First thing I want to draw our attention to is that first verse that we read. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. We read that in the second half of 13. Here's how I would put it. Our bodies are not designed for sex outside of marriage. Let me say that again. Our bodies are not designed for sex outside of marriage. It's not how we're created. Let me, let me show you what I mean. When I take my body, right, and we talked about that union, that powerful joining together that makes people one when they have sex. If I take myself and join myself to someone, and then I decide not to be with that person or stay with that person and I rip myself away, that creates an unbelievable amount of pain in someone's life and in my life. Over and over and over. When that happens, it creates damage, pain, because sex is so powerful. Sex is so powerful. In fact, I was thinking about uh, sex a little bit. Actually, when I was looking at my wood-burning stove blaze and I actually got a little picture of it here, Look at that thing. That is a beautiful fire, isn't it? That thing will roar about a thousand degrees. And sometimes Lori and I will sit in our living room and we'll just sit there and look at our wood-burning stove. Oh, you can keep it up there. We want to keep looking at that. That's amazing, right? So we'll look at our wood-burning stove and look at the fire in there and Lori will say to me, isn't that crazy that there's fire in our house? Like that thing is a thousand degrees and I'm standing right here and our house is not burning down. Like that's amazing. We like to just be blown away by simple things, you know? And the reality is that fire is contained by a very strong cast iron box. That's why we can have fire in our house. When we think about sex, this is how sex works. Sex is so powerful, so powerful. The only thing that can contain sex is the the strong union of the relationship of marriage. It's the only thing that can contain it. It's the only thing that can hold it in where damage won't occur and flame out and destroy everything around it. That's how it was designed. Literally, our bodies are created to have sex in marriage alone within the confines of, right, marriage is how it works. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we'll look and say, I feel, I feel so limited by only being able to have sex in marriage. I, I feel so limited that I only get to have this fire in this one little box. Now, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't I be really free if I could take a log out of that fire and, and I want to have fire in my living room, on my living room carpet, and I want to have some fire on my kitchen table, Let's have some fire in the bathroom, you know? Well, we all know what would happen if we took our fire and tried to have it wherever we want. We'd burn the house down, right? We'd have 
fire damage. We have scars from that. Right? It would ruin things. You say, Ryan, I totally get the whole fire thing and that th- I could see the damage of what happens when I try to take fire out of the safety of that box. But like having sex isn't like that. You can't see it. You can't see the damage that happens. You can't see the burn marks. I say, oh, you're right. You know, they don't f- they're not going to physically show up anywhere. But l- let's stop and look at it, though. When I take my fire and I, I pull it out of the box and start to put it in the living room floor, we all start to see what happens in our culture, right? We, we start to see an uptick in depression and anxiety and drug use to cope with pain and the divorce rate and th- you name it. I, I personally can attest to the fact that I have more regret in my life from the decisions I made sexually than any area of my life. And I know I've been forgiven. But when I look back, I, I still have the burn marks. See? Because here's the reality. I know that by making those decisions I made before I started dating and pursuing my wife, that I robbed her of the purity I could have given her. And I robbed the women that I was with of the purity that they could have given to their future husbands. Right? And I gave them a part of myself that I can't really give to my wife in some ways. There's shrapnel everywhere. There's pain. There's, there's burn marks. There's scars. And if you and I are honest, we know that that's true. Because sex is so powerful. Why? Because it was created to live within the confines of a safe and strong relationship. It's just how it is. We are not meant, not created. Our bodies do not work in sex without marriage. It's just not how it is designed to be. And the farther we move away from God's design for sex, the more pain we will lean into. It's just what it is. It's fascinating. It's eye-opening. For me, as a young adult who had never heard that, it was, it was so awakening to me to see that. Paul lays this out for us. He then lays out another mind-blowing truth. Look at verse 19 of chapter 6. I've been thinking about this all week. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to know something. I want to know that my body has been transformed. First of all, it's, it's not mine. Now it's God's. It's this thing called a temple. Right? What do we mean when we say temple? It's literally a house for God. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of me when I say yes to Jesus. So what's happened now here? This is the phrase that's been sticking with me. God has chosen to make our bodies his home. Let me say that again. God has chosen to make our bodies his home. God lives inside of me. So when I take my body where God lives and I go and I use that contrary to the design in which God created my body and has redeemed my body and I join my body where God lives and I have sex outside of marriage, or I have sex before marriage, or I go and put my body in front of a computer screen to see sex happening outside of marriage. 
when those things happen, I'm joining myself and I'm bringing God with me in an act of sexual, sexual immorality. I'm actually bringing God into the room, into the equation, into the act if there is one. Paul says, man, this should never be this way. You're bringing God into this, this act that it was never meant to be. It breaks the heart of God. It grieves the Holy Spirit, right? Our bodies are a place where God lives. God's chosen to make our bodies his home. Paul would communicate that to a group of people that were literally sleeping with prostitutes, and these people knew Jesus, and he's calling them out of that. Mind-blowing. One last observation coming from the passage. Here's what Paul would say. Next part of the verse, he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. And then he talks a little about married life, and we'll dig into that in a minute. But here's what he's going to say. I put it in your notes this way. Our bodies are not ours. Our bodies are not ours. We are bought at a price. If I'm somebody that says, I want to follow Jesus, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I'm a Christian. Here's what we're not saying if we say that. That doesn't mean that I'm simply uh, not a Muslim or a Buddhist or an atheist and I culturally align with the Jesus thing or the Christianity thing. If I say I want to be a follower of Jesus, what I am saying is I have done things that I'm not proud of. The Bible would call that sin. And I believe that a man 2,000 years ago came to earth. His name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died an innocent death in order to purchase my body, mind, and soul back from the dead because I was on a track and a road to condemnation. And Jesus stood in my place, blocked me from having to go down that road, rescued me, and when I said yes to that transaction, what I did is I transferred the deed of my life and my body over to Jesus. My body is not mine to do with whatever I want to. Now that deed is his, my body is his, I am the Lord's. Now, everything's changed if I'm a follower of Christ. See, our bodies are not ours. And then if I'm married, Paul would take this illustration even, even deeper and say, husbands and wives, your bodies actually belong to each other. And, it, and it's hard to see how radical this would have been in the first century. For the Corinthians who were hearing this for the very first time, their minds would have been blown. Why? Because wives were property of their husbands in the first century. So when Paul said to the husbands, hey, you, you own your body's wife, that would have made sense. When he flips it and looks at the wives and say, you own your husband's body, that would have been radical and sensational and extremely controversial. So he's saying you belong to each other. In marriage, in Christ-centered marriage, you, your bodies are each other's now. You're not your own. This, this changes everything. This changes everything. We are not ours to do whatever we want with. And what would we really want to do, right? Scar ourselves with fire marks? All this is because God loves us and he's given us this unbelievable gift of sex designed for marriage, designed for our pleasure and his glory. So what do we do with this? Right? How do we process this big conversation? I think we've got to start by looking at the spectrum and asking the question, where do I land? What message 
kind of have I locked into over the years about sex in my body? Which one would I cling to? And when I figure out which one I cling to, I need to own that and, and kind of admit that. I think if I've landed in a place where I viewed sex in a shameful way, kind of own that, that, that God doesn't view it that way. Sex is not bad. Sex can be shameful if done inappropriately, but in and of itself, it's not wrong, it's not bad, it's a good gift. And listen for a minute. If you are a man or a woman and you have faced sexual abuse, the pain of that is incredible. And you need to understand that it, it will change the way that you view sex. Listen, I am sorry if that is you. I'm sorry that you have to be the one of doing the work of healing after having something happen to you that you didn't ask for. Here's the reality. If you have faced sexual abuse, the hope is that there's healing. And the only place you're going to find healing is in Jesus. It does not happen instantaneously. It will happen over time. But the good news is healing can be found. We have a group here called uh, Rid of My Disgrace. It can walk you through kind of how to move on this issue. Encourage if you have questions about that or interest. Sign up for it. Let us know. We'll help you. If you look and say, you know, I viewed sex as an obligation. Man, I just kind of show up and it's what it is. If you're a lady, we have a great group called uh, Passion Pursuit. It helps you walk through and really understand the, the gift of sex and what it is. If you're a guy, let me know. We'll, we'll take care of helping you learn more about that world. If you're like me and you would, you would associate more on this end of things, you say, you know what? I've been to places I know I never should have been. I've been with people I never should have been with. It's back there. I would ask you, have you dealt with it? Have you been honest about it? How, how do I move forward if I have things in my past or maybe in my present right now? What do I do? What do I do? And it starts by owning and admitting it and saying, I, I, here's where I've been. Once I've done that, I want you to hear this verse. So important. Listen to this. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this. He says, or do you not know, in verse 9, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slander, slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, and that is what some of you were. Most important part right here. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit that's in you. If I have been down that road, which I have, because we can have forgiveness in Christ. We can be forgiven and cleansed. Jesus did not come to punish you for your sexual sin. He came to purify you from it. He didn't come to condemn. He came to change us. 
reach out, own it, and say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Can I be washed? I, I want my body to be your home. I want to be made new. Wherever I find myself on this spectrum, I want to look and say, God, would you heal? God, would you forgive? Would you cleanse? But it all centers around the person of Christ. Right? It's we're the only place we're ever going to find hope. And if you're here today and you say, yeah, I don't know what I believe, I know what I've done, I don't know where to go, I would encourage you to start by investigating, maybe even acting on today, a relationship with Jesus. You say, how do I do that? You recognize that Jesus came and died for your sin like he died for mine. And then say, pray today, your heart to God's heart, Jesus, will you forgive me for what I've done I want my life to be yours. I want you to be my God. Begin that relationship with Christ today. It's simple. It's scary, but it's the best decision you'll ever make. Start with Christ. If I don't know the Lord, that's my decision. If I need healing, I move towards Jesus. I let someone know that I need help. If I need forgiveness, I move towards Christ and admit where I've been and I own it. Right? Some of us married couples, we need to fire this thing back up again. <laughs> you know, go back and look at the sacred gift of sex. Read Song of Solomon and put the passion back in marriage. Wherever we are, can we turn up the volume on God's message and his design for sex in our lives? It's awesome. It's powerful. And it's contained in that beautiful thing we call marriage. Have the band come out, encourage as, as they play, would you think, pray, would you make movement on whatever God's calling you to do to turn up his message in your heart? Let me pray for us. Father, we want to stop and we want to say thank you, God, for sex. Thank you for how loaded it is, how powerful it is in our lives. And Lord, I pray for each one here today that needs healing in this area, I pray that you yourself would heal. Lord, you're the only one that really knows. God, for those of us that need to remember that we're forgiven or that we need to be forgiven, Lord, you are eager to show grace and mercy and forgiveness to those of us who have sinned. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that you've shown in my life. Even though I've strayed far from your design, and I praise you that you have washed and sanctified and you're changing me even today. God, would you lead us in this area? Speak to us. Help us to know that you love us and you're for us and that you want sex to be a gift in our lives. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray.